with Dr. Afia. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my fourth season, I'm speaking with people about the politics of appearance. And in this episode, I am so honored to have an expert in the field of law, Professor Wendy Green. And so she will be discussing this up and coming Crown Act that hopefully gets some federal mm-hmm. appeal in terms of really outlawing hair discrimination across the whole United States. So let me read her bio for you. A native of Columbia, South Carolina, Professor Doris Wendy Green is a trailblazing anti discrimination law scholar, teacher, and advocate who has devoted her professional life's work to advancing racial, color, and gender equality in workplaces and beyond. A tenured law professor, Professor Green is on the faculty at Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is the Francis Lewis Scholar in Residence at Washington and Lee University. Professor Green's legal scholarship and public advocacy has generated civil rights protections for victims of discrimination in workplaces, schools, and public accommodations on federal, state, and local levels. Recently celebrated by Teen Vogue for (laughs) championing advocacy for natural hair discrimination, Professor Green is internationally known for her pioneering publications on grooming codes discrimination that persuasively argue that the systematic discrimination of African descendants suffer when donning natural hairstyles like afros, twists, braids, and locks is unlawful race discrimination, which civil rights laws prohibiting racial discrimination should protect against. So yes. this this is so exciting to have you. I have referenced your work and my publication. So thank you for being oh. my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this is really exciting because I've heard about you. <laughs> and we're having a party over here. Yes, yes. You know, the, the, these twin spirits. So to even think about how law and psychology really complement right, each other. So absolutely. This is great. But I do want to know a little bit of your background story. So how did you discover this field of law? How did you decide to go on this path? Right. So I, it's a pretty much since the beginning, as long as I can remember, um, (laughs) just to think, kind of think about it in terms of civil rights advocacy Mm -hmm. and in particular wanting to be a civil rights lawyer started when I was five years old. Five? Yeah. I didn't know what a civil rights lawyer was when I was five. (laughs) Well, thanks to my parents who are avid readers. Uh, My mom is, my dad is now deceased, but um, Mm -hmm. who introduced me to the love of reading very Mm -hmm. early on. And it's by virtue of learning about Thurgood Marshall and Mm -hmm. Jim Crow and Brown versus Board of Education and his role as well as the LDF's role in um, desegregating schools and other spaces. Um, Reading about him um, as an African-American pioneer at five years old, that's when I (laughs) learned about this world of race and racial inequality and racial justice advocacy. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I learned about my father's role in the civil rights movement. He was 
one of those uh, student leader activists oh. who was involved in the sit-ins and in, 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 participated in the sit-ins in wow. Columbia, South Carolina. And he was arrested for his participation. <gasps> and um, his case actually went to the Supreme Court and mm. uh, the Supreme Court overturned his conviction. And just a few months after that um, occurred, we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964 being passed. Mm. And so the 1964 Civil Rights Act has been basically the central focus of my work as mm. a legal scholar, um, really trying to re re-engineer mm -hmm. the Civil Rights Act mm -hmm. so that it can bring about greater equality and inclusion and equity in our workplaces. And so this work is just pretty much a, a huge part of mm -hmm. that story. Mm -hmm. And so it just happens to revolve around hair, mm -hmm. um, but really it's about trying to ensure that our civil rights laws do protect against all of the different forms of racial discrimination that we're um, suffering as African descendants in, in, in workplaces and mm -hmm. public accommodations and other spaces. So that's sort of the, the short story <laughs> of the journey. But I learned about these hair cases um, in law school hmm. and, and seeing the ways in which federal courts were not uh, protecting us from what I consider to be a form of race discrimination mm -hmm. when we're talking about discriminating on the basis of locks and braids and twists. Mm -hmm. And um, the federal courts deciding that, you know, um, it's race discrimination if you discriminate on the basis of an Afro. Mm -hmm. But if you lock or braid or twist the Afro, then magically it's no longer considered race. Mm -hmm. um, it's considered culture. And since Title VII does not prohibit discrimination on the basis of culture, that kind of discrimination is not considered violative of the law. Mm. And so seeing that injustice, right, that inequality in the law, that unequal treatment uh, um, is something that really, um, it just motivated me to want to do some more digging and to be able to provide the proper legal and historical context in order to make these legal arguments that it is in fact race discrimination mm -hmm. when you are discriminating on the basis of natural hairstyles. Yeah, it, it makes logical sense right. that it would go in this path in terms of, it sounds like there was some sort of loophole almost to Absolutely. not acknowledge the styling of the hair would right. actually be race related Right, too. right. So, we, no, there is. There is this loophole. There is this just nonsensical gap, mm -hmm. if you will, as it relates to protection, civil rights protection. And it's based, or at least I argue, largely based upon, yes, miseducation and, mm -hmm. and misinformation about black hair, uh, but also this, this concept or this idea that race is a biological fixed, mm. um, inheritable construct, as opposed to race being what we know it to be is a social so, con yep. construction, right? Um, and so this, um, what happens in these cases is that the federal courts have declared that um, in terms of race discrimination, federal civil rights laws only protects against immutable mm. or unchangeable or very difficult characteristics to change uh, discrimination on those grounds. And so what they thought or th are thinking is that Afros are an immutable racial characteristic or an immutable characteristic of blackness because presumably we all are born with afros <laughs> and to the extent that if you do have an afro that's the signal a signifier of your blackness or your african ancestry mm -hmm. but what we know is is that there are plenty of people who don't acknowledge themselves or classify themselves as black or african descendant who have afros mm -hmm. right 
Um, and so this is why I call this immutability doctrine mm-hmm. that's been guiding or shaping the scope of statutory protection. I call it a legal fiction mm-hmm. because it's, it's not based in, in fact, it's based in these sort of assumptions about racial identity. Um, and so based upon this immutability doctrine, the idea is that if you braid or lock or twist your hair, that it's not an immutable or un- unchangeable characteristic. Mm-hmm. The courts call um, these hairstyles mutable cultural characteristics, mm. right? Mm. Right. And so it's also mutable in the sense that that's a function of your choice yeah. as opposed to something that you're born with. And so there's this very, you know, narrow uh, view of what race is. Um, and and therefore we have these very rigid um uh, uh, or or very uh, constrained, if you will, civil rights protections as it relates to forms of discrimination mm. on the basis of race. And so that's where my work comes in. I'm trying to dismantle the immutability doctrine. Yeah. And it just so happens to be this application to natural hair discrimination cases mm-hmm. that have been brought. Yeah, it sounds like the, that this has always been central. Like you were saying, you were born into this to really address the inequalities mm-hmm. and injustices that black people face in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely a historical timeline that there have always been laws to outlaw blackness <laughs> to some degree, and blackness including our hairstyles. Right. I'm even thinking back to the Louisiana laws or the Tignon right. laws right. that regulated um that black women couldn't wear their hair out in public. Right, right. And right. just how that became part of the legal system. And then, of course, we had the most beautiful head wraps. Right, and then right, to outlaw right. that, too. But right. it's, it's such a, a social construction to regulate mm-hmm. black bodies, right. and especially our hair. Right. Well, and that's exactly what I call it. It is a hyper-regulation mm-hmm. of black bodies, and in particular, as it relates to black women and girls. You know, our bodies through the the, the prism or through the vehicle of hair. Mm-hmm. And so it starts very early on, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of our history, or at least American history, yeah. broadly speaking, mm-hmm. that um, this is a way to control, this is a way to oppress, this is a way to subordinate and one of the most powerful and probably meaningful ways to do that is through our hair Mm -hmm. Um, because it is so personal to us. It's so much um, a part of our identity, a central feature of our identity and our personhood. Mm -hmm. And so when someone tries to take that away or to shave it off or to have you to cover it, um, you know, that has a very, um, it's a very, it's a very deep and, and, um, you know, damaging. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and I talk about that in in, in my work in terms of these historical connections Mm -hmm. as it relates to regulating our bodies in the eras of racial slavery and racial Mm -hmm. apartheid to so to today, which one would call sort of a Mm post-emancipation era that Mm -hmm. it's there's this continuum. And so what thankfully uh, (laughs) with some of the the state laws that we'll talk about, um, like the Crown Act in California and New York, what um, it is, what the laws are doing um, basically is for the first time in centuries really like uh, not allowing for the legal uh, legalized discrimination mm-hmm. and segregation and exclusion on the basis of our natural hairstyles but actually giving us legal protection to mm-hmm. be able to wear our hair naturally mm-hmm. and that is really quite historic and mm-hmm. phenomenal in nature mm-hmm. once you think about it through the historical context. Yeah, this is really deep. I'm I'm even thinking back to some of my graduate school research right now. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was in graduate school, my um, dissertation was on the psychological significance mm -hmm. of race and told through stories. Mm -hmm. And so um, my advisor, Dr. Cynthia Winston Proctor, developed something called the Guided Race Autobiography. And basically it elicited different stories across the lifetime for individuals. But what we were finding and later, I guess, infused into my mm -hmm. work is that many of the racial discrimination stories were about hair, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when it came to black girls mm -hmm. and to identify times that they were made fun of, mm -hmm. teased, um, missed an opportunity because of hair or just even, you know, and this oftentimes would be intra-racial mm -hmm. mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. terms of thinking mm -hmm. about who was the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that these things that are coming from adults telling these childhood experiences mm -hmm. that it doesn't necessarily go away. Right. And so right. I'm glad that there is protection, mm -hmm. like we're mm -hmm. talking about protection so that this doesn't have to continue, that there can be consequences right, to right. this discriminatory behavior. Right. No, absolutely. And what I do say about natural hair discrimination, as with other forms of discrimination, is equal opportunity discrimination, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, it doesn't really, you know, people of all races and mm -hmm. ethnic backgrounds can be the perpetrators of mm -hmm. this kind of discrimination. And so much of the work is trying to dis dismantle these biases, right? These negative biases and stereotypes and stigmas. Mm -hmm. that are associated with our natural hairstyles and in turn, you know, the privileging mm -hmm. of, say, straight hair and everything that goes along with it, right? Um, and so to that point, that's what, part, you know, yes, the legislation is wonderful, but as we're, 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 we're trying to, to pass the legislation, a, a critical point of that is educating people and really trying to, to break down and deconstruct mm -hmm. and hopefully eliminate these types of biases mm -hmm. um, that have been long a part of of our communities mm -hmm. and continue to be perpetuated, not only in the United States, but um, you know, throughout the African diaspora. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let me just ask you in the most simple way, please define the Crown Act. Sure. What is it? How did it develop? And yeah, where do you think it's going next? Right. So the Crown Act, um, the original Crown Act in California is creating respectful and open workplaces for natural hair. And so in California, the law actually defines race, which is pretty phenomenal because mm. most of our anti-discrimination laws do not define race. Um, so it provides a definition of race, which is you know, characteristics or traits that are historically associated with race, inclusive of, but not limited to natural hairstyles mm -hmm. or protective hairstyles like locks, braids, and twists. Um, and so uh, that definition, and this extends to, so basically it treats natural hairstyle discrimination or protective hairstyle discrimination as race discrimination mm -hmm. in workplaces and in schools. Mm -hmm. um, so the New York soon followed California. They too passed the laws now effective in New York and New Jersey among some other states have introduced either identical crown acts or those that are parallel mm -hmm. in order to address uh, this form of discrimination and more broadly discrimination on the basis of appearance um, in the workplaces mm -hmm. and schools and in some instances the the legislation is trying to extend to housing mm -hmm. as well in public accommodations as well oh. yeah Hmm. Yeah, in, in terms of some of my studies, um, 
in my psychotherapy research mm-hmm. lab, yeah, we're finding that it schools are a major site of mm-hmm. discrimination, mm-hmm. especially for black girls. So one mm-hmm. of my colleagues, um, Dr. Daniela Pugo, mm-hmm. who um, does urban education, yes, yes, and I, yes, yes. yeah, where yes. we have just got accepted for an article called "Brushed Aside" that really speaks to how black girls are mistreated at school right, related right. to policy. Yes, um, yes. Well, I'm familiar with her work. Yeah, yes, in yeah. the DC public schools. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, so it's just interesting how the this narrative work um, really complements the laws that are needed right, to do right. it. Well, the work that you're doing actually provides us with the evidence, you mm-hmm. know, to show that this is a systematic uh, form of discrimination, not only on the basis of race, but at the intersection of race and, and gender, mm-hmm. sometimes race, gender, and color. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be race, gender, color, and class, yeah. right? Um, and among other types of identity mm-hmm. traits. And so, the, the work that you're doing is very helpful to us on the law side <laughs> because oftentimes people don't actually litigate these cases mm-hmm. or bring lawsuits as it relates to this point. discrimination, right? So we need that, um, you know, that 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 data. Mm-hmm. You know, we need that research to be able to say, hey, this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And that research by people who are engaged in the empirical work like yourself to really be able to st- substantiate that this is a not only a problem, but it's a problem that needs to be redressed under the law. Yes, okay. This is very affirming to me. I'm like, okay, I need to go and finish a manuscript. I've been working on for a few I'm not trying to give you any more yeah. work. But. <laughs> so it's not just about tenure people who get for laws. Yeah, and so it's really inspirational for me then that some of your research was able to translate in terms of impacting things at a legal level. I hope, I guess, one day that I can be like, the doll studies and really mm-hmm. understanding the psychology of hair mm-hmm. and how that can be infused in terms of creating laws that protect black people and right. their experiences around hair for sure. Absolutely. Well, you're a critical part of it. The work that you're doing are. So I thank you. Right. Because, you know, there's only so much one person can do. So I can't go out there and do the empirical research, but I can rely upon, you know, rely upon your research and, and um, be able to put that forth as, you know, as, um, you know, citations, mm-hmm. for example, as we okay, are I'm going to send through. you a whole yes, email. Yes, please do. I need the whole okay. bibliography. I got 12 publications in the past year. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That, oh, goodness. Girl. I'm writing, I'm writing. <laughs> you are busy. You are one busy lady. That is amazing. Well, I don't think you should have, we, you won't have any problems with tenure. And if you do, they need to call me. No. <laughs> hear that. Hear they need to call me. But no, yeah, but it's exactly right. These these studies from other disciplines, mm-hmm. right? And so this is one of the things about this particular issue. It is very much mm-hmm. um, an interdisciplinary yeah. um, area of advocacy and activism, and that's what makes it even more exciting for mm-hmm. me. Coming from my bra- background, mm-hmm. I was an English major. I studied. I had a double minor in African American studies okay. and Spanish, and um, then went on to get my master's in law and focused on comparative slavery and race relations in the Americas and the Caribbean. So so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I view all of these issues through a much broader um, and interdisciplinary mm-hmm. lens. So it, it helps me to kind of go back to my roots, yeah. um, engaging in this work, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it is history. Yeah, absolutely. And just even being able to anticipate, where do you think natural hair and laws are going next? Going. So we do have, you know, several states that have introduced because the Crown Act and those that are, are, are parallel legislation. So, for example... In, uh, let's see here, in Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, 
Michigan, Wisconsin are just some of the states um, that have introduced the Crown Act and we'll see what happens. Uh, we have South Carolina and Massachusetts, as well as Maryland, that uh, mm-hmm. will be introducing them soon or filing them soon. Um, and then on the local level, we have Cincinnati that has introduced a piece of legislation, or not introduced, they actually passed. It's the first citywide uh, legislation that would not only treat protect natural hair discrimination as race discrimination, but they expanded some of their definitions to include other forms of discrimination based on the appearance at the intersection of gender identity and disability mm-hmm. and, and sexual orientation mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, so much more expansive kind mm-hmm. of concept as it relates to that legislation. Um, also also on the local municipal levels, we have like the New York City Commission on Human Rights and their enforcement guidance, which was landmark guidance mm-hmm. in being the first city to treat natural hair discrimination as race discrimination in schools, per- public and charter schools, mm-hmm. um, in public accommodations and in workplaces. Uh, and then more recently, we have the Montgomery County, Maryland mm-hmm. uh, uh, Legislation Crown Act that uh, Will Juando and... Um, Councilwoman Navarro, Council President Navarro have sponsored. Mm-hmm. And so it passed and the vote is coming soon. <laughs> um, if passed, then it will be the first countywide Crown Act to to go into effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, um, you know, all of the advocates are working towards, you know, federal measures mm-hmm. as well to try to to prohibit uh, natural hair discrimination in schools and in workplaces and to, again, treat it as what it is, which is race discrimination. Mm-hmm. Okay. So lots of things are happening in the states and i will tell you that because this issue is something that is occurring around the world literally the world is watching because um it's, it's giving a lot of momentum to other activists and advocates in other countries mm-hmm. to try to ensure that similar types of mm-hmm. uh legislative measures are introduced and passed mm-hmm. in in their in their particular uh countries yeah yes. yeah it very much needed i'm just thinking of the little girl um Zaleka Patel yes, in South yes, Africa yes, yes. and Absolutely. other places really trying to disrupt and deconstruct these racist right. laws and right. systems right. that exist. You know, it's a global white supremacy um, right. that impacts people of color. Right, lives. right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there's lots of stuff that's happening. Yeah, a lot and of yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I things are happening every so. day. Yeah, yes. I think so. That's so exciting. even for you, um, are you working on any projects that are up and coming that mm-hmm. you'd like to share with listeners? Or? Sure. So I have been working with on, on the federal side of things as well as uh, on the state side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also working on a book called mm-hmm. uh, Hashtag Free the Hair, Locking Ooh. Black Hair to Civil Rights Movements, which is forthcoming in UC Berkeley Press. Nice. Um, and so uh, I will say that, you know, working on, on sort of the front lines and also in the, in the background mm-hmm. as it relates to the legislation and in some instances have worked on litigation as well so um, you know as it relates to natural hair discrimination cases I, I get many calls to counsel the the, the lawyers who are involved mm. in those cases I've worked with the uh, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund so kind of coming full circle mm. here Legal Defense Fund mm. on um, amicus brief in a very pivotal employment discrimination case race discrimination case EEOC versus catastrophe management solutions so I really 
really have my hands sort of in all different types of spaces um, as it relates to this particular issue. And ultimately, it will com- culminate in in this book, uh, mm-hmm. Free the Hair, hashtag Free the Hair. And, um, and really looking at this issue as it relates to black women and girls mm-hmm. in particular and talking about the or exposing the kinds of hyperregulation that we are experiencing as it relates to our hair and um, and and looking at it through a global and interdisciplinary lens. Okay. Ooh, you got a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so is there yes. any way that um, listeners can support the Crown Act, support you? Are there things, places they should go to to report if they've experienced any sure. discrimination related yeah. to hair? Yeah. Well, so if you want to support the Crown Act, you can go to crownact.com. Com, and you can actually sign the petition where uh, we're trying to get legislators that haven't already to really look into this issue and hopefully introduce and pass legislation as it relates to it. So you can go and sign the petition trying to get 100,000 signatures mm-hmm. um, there. You can also go to my website, which is www.freethehair.com, and follow some of the work that I am doing on this front. Are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram and Twitter, (laughs) so you can follow me there. Uh, So you can follow me at Professor D. Wendy, as well as at Free the Hair Now. And so in those spaces, I try to educate people about not only natural hair discrimination, but also other forms of inequality and discrimination. Um, on the basis of race and color and gender and and largely focusing around grooming and appearance discrimination mm-hmm. um, in workplaces and other spaces. Um, so, you know, it's really being used as a, as a source of education and hopefully empowerment and hopefully advocacy mm-hmm. for those who are following. Yeah, I, I really love this work. I'm excited. I'm going to follow. I'm going <laughs> to sign up. I'm going to do everything you just told us to yeah. do. Yeah, it, it seems like that this is really a movement. And I'm so glad that your work is informing it and that there is there can be action, yes. legal action yes, that, that can be taken. And it can be way. individual action mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? So that's the other mm-hmm. part of it is that, yes, we have the laws, but it really does take every last one of us to sometimes even reform our minds as yeah. it relates to this issue. And again, dismantle these biases, yeah. whether they're conscious or unconscious, as it relates to hair and other appearance mm-hmm. norms. Um, and then to be able to educate other people mm-hmm. about this discrimination and the consequences yeah. of this discrimination as you know there are Mm -hmm. lots in the work Mm -hmm. that you do in terms of the emotional consequences the the economic as well as the physiological and physical consequences of natural hair discrimination Mm -hmm. um and namely as it as it affects not just um black women and girls but african descendants Mm -hmm. um um more broadly yes yeah okay yeah it's layered. Right? Yes. It's layered. It's layered. So, yeah, th- this work will continue be- to be done. Um, and I guess the-, the law will only be as good as its enforcers. Yes, yes. So to really think about the- right. that, of course, it's good to get things on the books. Right. But to think about what other systems need to be deconstructed and disrupted mm-hmm. so that people of color and black women in mm-hmm. particular can live mm-hmm. free, free lives, right? right? Absolutely. And that's so, the whole purpose of hashtag free the hair yeah. movement. Right. Hashtag free the hair. So thank you so much. I feel like I learned. I definitely didn't know the difference between Afro versus twist and braids and just even the loopholes that exist. 
the work that's being done in, on state level, country level, and maybe even internationally mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. ways that I can even be more active mm-hmm. in participating and pushing forward a certain agenda mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So this was great. I feel like I took one of your law classes. <laughs> I, need get, I need to get my law degree. Come but, on. Uh, <laughs> psychotherapy information through our website psychotherapy.org and instagram handle at psychotherapy and of course if you love this podcast like i know you will please share it please share it with law students that are studying this topic please share it with people who face hair discrimination share it with people who are in the government mm-hmm. please share it so that people can be more informed and educated about the crown act and ways that we can actually take action to address discrimination and really fight So in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. Thank you so much for coming on my show today. Thank you for having me. (laughs)